right. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Beautiful day. Great to be here. The Sunday after Easter, it's always interesting who comes back. Who's going to come two weeks in a row to church? And you did it here today if you were with us last weekend. Maybe you were new with us last week and you came back. We call that a second date. And that's pretty good. I mean, you can always have a first date, but the second date, okay, there might be an interest. And so we're, we're glad you took time to be with us. Um, I just want to mention, I appreciate uh, everything that Stacy mentioned. I also want to mention if you're giving uh, in, in just tithes and offerings, thank you for that contribution. There's boxes in the back. You can also uh, go online. And we love that little tag, you know, my.ctk.church. It really is kind of a one-stop shop or like how do I give or serve or that kind of thing. So you think about that throughout the week. That's a great way because sometimes people will text me like, I got a prayer request. I'm like, can you send it over here? Because then what happens is everybody, the team that's praying for it gets it. So that's our, that's our way to do that. Obviously, you can still text me too uh, to do that. But we want to make sure that those needs get met and prayer and opportunities that we follow up on that be a part of it. We're, we're doing, we're kind of like, you know, if you're, you're, you know, like a track meet, you come, we're coming around the, the, the last bin, and then next week we're kind of be in the straightaway to the finish of our series called Unstoppable. We started it way back before Easter, and now we're jumping in in the book of Acts. And, and I have found when we're going through Acts, you know, we really we talk about this movement that's happening, right? That so many people are impacted as post-resurrection as Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and this he launches his church as we as the spirit of God came and, and filled everyone and this this massive movement happened what you find in movements it brings change and not everybody likes change do do they not you know you think this is the most positive thing this is the greatest thing that ever happened in the earth and yet the people that that should be a part of it like it, to see the fulfillment of it happening going we don't want it we don't want this happening it's causing a disruption and there as we get toward the end of the book of acts as we're getting the last few chapters what we find is there's one person that's a lightning rod for all of it and it's the apostle paul it just seems like it all is kind of falling on him and the pressure and the persecution at least we see in the narrative that that luke writes about that and i think a lot of it has to do with the fact is that that you know when you switch teams not everybody likes it on the opposite team and that's really what happened to Paul. And what we find is, Paul, as we left off a couple weeks ago, here he is. He is actually sitting pretty well in an area called Ephesus, kind of in modern-day Turkey. He's doing really well. In fact, Paul could actually just finish out his, his life, his ministry, in Ephesus. And everybody would be okay with that because he helped plant a lot of churches. And, 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 and there's just a lot of things that are happening. It's the, the movement's kind of spreading beyond himself. But Paul says, no, my mission's not done. I need to go back to Jerusalem. And Paul, they're like, Paul, it's, it's safe here. It's comfortable here. Why would you put yourself through that? That is a suicide mission. You're going back into the belly of the beast. Do you remember where you came from? He goes, exactly. I know where I came from, and I know where I need to go. And, and, and out of persuasion, and even some of the believers would say, even God has told us, Paul, that you shouldn't go. And he's like, no, God has told me that I need to go. But Paul, you're going to get arrested. You're going to get persecuted. And, and that's exactly what happened to Paul. He goes back, you can read uh, in, in uh, 23 and 24, he goes back to Jerusalem. He preaches in the synagogue. They didn't like it. He, and the Romans didn't like it. And pretty soon, he is now found in prison. And what we pick up in the end of Acts 25 is, 
he's been in prison for two years. And now finally it comes around in the system that he is going to be put basically to trial. But they don't know what to do with him. I call it the, I call it the, the, the sound of music moment. Uh, what do you, how do you solve a problem like Maria? And this is how do you solve a problem like Paul? What do we do with Paul? Because what happened with Paul is they could easily, they could easily like, you know, he's causing disruption. The Romans could have just put him to death. I mean, they just killed anybody. But he goes, I'm actually a Roman citizen. And like, I want to appeal to Caesar. And like, oh my gosh, and this whole uproar comes from this. So you really don't know what to do with it. But at the end of 25, what we find is this, he's getting passed around different Roman governors. And the, the last Roman governor is this guy named Festus. And he's figuring out what to do with Paul, but he finds out one of his buddies, King Herod of Agrippa, comes to town. King Herod is actually Jewish, and, and so he goes to him and says, hey, buddy, listen, you, I need your help a little bit. There's this guy named Paul. He was once one of yours. He's now switched teams, and he's actually speaking against you, speaking against your Jewish faith. In fact, Luke says this about what Festus says to Agrippa. He says, it's, Paul is speaking about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claims was alive. I was at a loss in how to investigate such matters. He's appealing to Caesar. We're going we're gonna to look to ship him to Rome, but I don't have a report. I don't know what to write about the guy, and I, my neck is on the line you got to help me out. Can you get involved and help with this? And that's really what happens. He gets before this guy named King Herod of Agrippa. Now, who's King Herod of Agrippa? Well, he's the great-grandfather of King Herod the Great. King Herod the Great was called Great because he called himself Great. And he was the one that, at the time of Jesus being born, was threatened by a new king being born, and went and decided to, to basically, you know, kill all the, the newborn babies, boys, up to two years old. And so that's why Jesus' family fled to, fled to Egypt. Okay, it was that Herod is. He's, there's lots of Herods. He wasn't the only Herod. So then there's another Herod. There was a Herod of uh, Antipas who beheaded John the Baptist. And then... Agrippa's dad, King Herod the, uh, Agrippa I, was the one that put to death James. Now Agrippa II, it comes on the scene, and here he is before, brings Paul before him, and with his wife slash sister, yeah, before named Beatrice. You know, like, I mean, it's just Jerry Springer and weirder, okay, what goes on back then. You know, like, and she was married to her uncle before, okay, this is all going on. And now Paul is standing before them. And I don't, you got to think, what is Agrippa thinking? What is going through his mind? He's going, okay, I'm in a Herod, his other, my, 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 you know, my other relatives have been Herod, and we just can't shake this Jesus. Like, we tried to take him out when he was a baby, that didn't work. He grows up, now he comes to his ministry, and then he, there's an uproar, it's all gone, and then he dies, but then he, he's supposedly came back from the dead, and then there's this whole movement that took place, and we're trying to kill some of the leaders, and here I am now having to deal still with Jesus. And then you're wondering, is he feeling a little weird about standing before 
the Apostle Paul, who is very vocal. If you pick the most passionate person on the planet at the time for the cause of Christ, he's going, oh, I hopefully he doesn't, you know, I don't want to hear any bad comments about me and my wife slash sister. Who, who knows really what's going on? So here it is, okay? Set the tone here. Set the setting here. Here in chapter 1, or ch- chapter 26, verse 1, here he comes. It says this. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. So here he is. Paul gestures with his hand and starts his defense. Paul is in, right in the, on this trial. Just picture kind of a little bit of a courtroom situation here. And, and on one side is the Jewish leaders who know he's on trial because of crimes of religious order. That he's, he's saying things and doing things. He's breaking, he's breaking, he's bringing Gentiles in the, 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 the synagogue. It's all this stuff's going on, right? And then on the other side, he's being tried by the Romans who they do not want a di- a uproar. They do not want any kind of disturbance, any kind of insurrection. They're going to squash it like a bug. Here he is. So the Jews feel like they know why he's on trial. The Romans think he's on trial. But listen to what Paul says, why he considered himself on trial. Now he starts off with this. He says, I'm fortunate, King Agrippa, that you're the one hearing my defense today. And, and so we're, we're going to get to that, the, the, the reason why he sees himself uh, on this trial today. He says this, For I know you're expert of the Jewish customs and controversies. Paul's, it's a good strategy. Paul's saying, hey, I know, you know, you're, you know, you're, you have your intellect, King. I know that you have knowledge here. So understand. And then he does this. He says this in verse 3. He says, now please listen to me patiently. Like he makes this statement. I'm like, okay, Paul, here you go. He says, as the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people in Jerusalem. He, he's, he's saying, he says it later on in the description when he is in prison, he goes, I, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. I was zealous for the law. Paul's basically saying this. I've ticked all the boxes. I, I, I've did everything a good Jewish person would do. I'm an expert law. I, 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 I've done it all. And then he tells why he is on trial. Not what the Jews think. Not what, not what the Romans think. He says this. Here he goes. If, if you admit it to me, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strict sect of our religion. So, okay, Paul, what is it? Why are you on trial? He says, now because of it, know this, now I'm on trial because of my hope. I'm on trial because of my hope. What hope are you talking about, Paul? We, we get to it here. But hope. Hope is basically, this is why he thinks he's on trial, is because of this hope. But what really are, is, is this hope? Because we, how many know, we throw the word hope out all the time, don't we? We, we hope it's kind of well-wishing. Well, I hope you have a good day, right? That's a good thing to say to somebody. Or we, we emphasize it a little bit. We're hoping things will trend better in circumstances. Man, I sure hope I pass that test. I sure hope I get that promotion. I, heard, I sure hope that relationship turns into to a marriage relationship. We have hope in our circumstances. But how many know hope at some point in the dark and difficult times when life becomes out of control, we need more than just that. We, we need hope to not be in wishful thinking and circumstances. We need a hope, well, not in a what, in a who. Where do we get that 
hope. Well, we know where that hope is. It's the hope that we celebrated last week. It's the hope that, that the, the blessed hope, the risen Lord Jesus. And so here Paul declares this. He says this, now I am on trial because of my hope in, listen to this, the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors, and in fact, why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day. And they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Paul's saying this hope that was fulfilled, this why we, the promises there is this, is the fact that, that Jesus is this blessed hope, the risen Lord Jesus that he has. This hope is what is on trial. I want to just share this thought with you today is this, people of hope trust that God is always good on his promises. People of hope trust that God is always good on his promises. Trust not only that God is good, but his promises are good. And the promise that Paul was that was fulfilled. But all these promises, the promises are there that, that have been fulfilled. All that happened through the Old Testament leading to the New Testament, leading to where, where we are today, that hope is found. How do you trust in the promises of God's word? Well, you have to know the promises of what it says. The, the promises that we know, that we were created in the wonder of the image of God, that, that Christ came and died for us and his blood shed for us and that we're pure and holy in his eyes. That's a promise that we can hold to. The promise, as we sang this morning, the dwell, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The promises that he makes all things together for good are those who love him called according to his purpose. And that he, his love never can separate from us. All those promises of God now are being fulfilled, have been fulfilled through Christ. Paul's saying, I'm on trial because of that type of hope. Not a hope of wishful thinking, not a hope of hope things work out one day. It is this hope that we have. And he ties to the specific event, and he forms it in a rhetorical question to King Agrippa. Now listen to this, what he says. He says, why does it seem incredible that any of you that God can raise the dead? His hope was in that fact of the promises, the promise that was filled of Jesus, the one that walked out of the grave. He said, this is the hope. This is, the hope of the, this is the hope of the early church. This is the hope that we build our faith upon, that God speaks life into dead things, that in hopeless situations, hope can come. He goes on, Paul, Paul goes on, and we read in, chap, in the chapters of Acts, or I'm sorry, in the chapter of this Acts, of his defense before King Agrippa, he gives some ways. He gives some thoughts here of how he's defending the hope that he has. That the hope that he has is on trial. And, and for us to look at this and to ask the question of this. If you stood before on trial of that hope, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you, as Paul stands on trial, would there be enough evidence of the hope that's in you that you would be convicted of that crime of hope? What would that be? And so Paul brings his defense of this hope before not only King Agrippa, but all who are really in earshot of him. So here's his testimony 
of this hope. He says, I used to, be, used to believe that I, I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Instead, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leaders and priests, I caused many believers there to be sent into prison. I cast my vote against them when they're condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I chased them down into foreign cities. What's Paul saying? I was a bad dude. I was a, I was a guy that was not supportive at all. In fact, I was in direct opposition of any kind of movement that I'm going to put a stop to it. Well, as we've been going through the weeks, you can't stop the unstoppable God. You can't stop any of this. It's a freight train, and he's trying to stop with his bare hands. It ain't going to happen, Paul. And he comes to this place, but he's saying, I admit it, I was a thug. I was a jerk. I was trying to put Christians on trial and put them to death. Well, what happened? Well, hope happened. Hope appeared before Paul, literally, well, it blinded him. Paul goes on and shares about this trial in verse 12. And this is, this is recorded in multiple places. He, this is like the third place Paul talks about his story, what happens to him. He says, he's on, on one of these journeys, as I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, we've talked about this before. The goads are, are uh, like for oxen, you know, basically the, the reins, you know, you, you can't, these oxen are trying to go their own way and they can't do that. It's futile to try. Don't, don't resist the unstoppable God and what he can do. And so Paul shares this encounter. And it's interesting, he loves sharing this story. He loves going back and saying, man, I was walking and then there's this light and I was knocked down, I was, I was actually blinded. And what we come to the place, we come to the fact that God is always good to getting our attention, either, you know, still small voice or a two by four, he'll use whatever he can to get our attention. And if you're taking notes, if you want evidence of hope, the being people of hope, you can... You can scan these notes as well online. Is this? Here it is. People of hope realize and are ready for transformation. People of hope realize and they're ready for transformation. Paul is struck down, blind. He cries out. Now, what does he cry out? Who are you, Lord? Notice it's a lowercase L. It's like he's like he didn't even really know. He's not even hearing and recognizing it's. It's even God at this point. And then the Lord with the capital L replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. The very one that you're trying to squash. You can't do it, Paul. You're kicking against the goads here. It's not going to happen. You can't stop me. And Paul is humbled and in his place of desperation. And at that day, he, he turns his life over to Jesus. I think it's always a struggle when we work with people in life. And in, well, in our own lives, we'll, we're, where our bottom is. You hear someone, well, they hit bottom. You know, it's God's grace when we discover our bottom, isn't it? When we discover at the lowest point in our life. But not everybody finds that. You, you talk to someone that, 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 that has 
battled addiction and they find themselves in jail and the, their life is blown up and they've lost all these relationships and all that happens and you talk with them and you're just like, you pray and you hope this is their bottom. That this is the, this is the lowest point in their life that God's got their attention and that they would turn their life over to Jesus. Now, that, that when a person recognizes that, that's a wonderful thing that happens. It's God's grace. Even the worst time of their life, they're recognizing it. But I think it's what's even more, a little bit more dangerous is the people that we know, and you might have been here at one point before, is that you recognize that, that or they, they recognize that they're not recognizing any kind of hope of Christ at all. Ba basically, what I'm saying is everything's going really well for are, um, they're recognizing that uh, I'm sorry, they're, they're not recognizing anything they need of God they, they, their life is good, they have a great job, they got a great nest egg they, 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 they live well, they have great marriage, in fact they're very generous with their life, they serve the community in fact you know people like this they're better Christians than you they, the only difference is they don't worship Jesus they, they have all the, the aspects of godliness, but there's no acceptance of Christ whatsoever. And in all counts, you look at their life, and no one, none of us would judge a heart, but they have no conversation about Jesus. They don't care about Jesus. They, they will enter a Christless eternity without him. That's really what it is. That is the hardest people to reach, because if you have everything you need, people hope realize and they're ready for that transformation to take place. But when they do, and we pray for that, here's something that can happen. People of hope have a true encounter with Jesus. People of hope have a true encounter with Jesus. So it's, it's all about need. It's all about, it's not about really about information. It's about trans, really about transformation, isn't it? This moment in time. And I don't know, it happens for different people, but I want to give you this picture of this a little bit. I want you to picture a middle school boy. Okay, so we have a few people in here that at one point, uh, some of us men here have been a middle school boy, so we know what it feels like. We also, some of us have raised a middle school boy, or one day you will be. And what we find for middle school boys when they hit the, the, the age of puberty, you'll know when they hit it is because you'll smell it. Okay, one day you're kind of going, hey buddy, here's the deal. Um, uh, you, you need to take a shower. Well, it did last week. No, 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 you understand. You need to take a shower every day. Every day? Yeah, every day. You wake up in the morning, and they're like, you're going to take a shower? And like, here's the soap. Here's the shampoo. Here's this little dial thing. You, it's called deodorant. This is what you need to do. You do that. Yeah, 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 I know, no, no, no. And then, then rush, and they're out the door. You know, it's like, take a shower. And every day, take a shower, take a shower. And they just don't care whatsoever. And, and, you know, it's similar to us in life where people tell us what we should be doing, but we don't do it. You know, you could sit through sermon after sermon, and you could read Bible verses, you could do a lot of things that, that look like that, and the information, but information alone is not going to bring transformation. So another day happens. But this day is a little bit different. This day, this Middle school boy goes to school, normal thing. I mean, he didn't comb his hair. He didn't, you know, he just kind of sloppily, like, really, you're wearing that? You're going, yeah. and then they go through lunch, and they, you know, playing basketball, and they're all sweating and everything, and then, they, then they, they get into social studies class, and then there's this moment. It's almost like every teen movie will happen to have this moment where the music comes from somewhere, and the door opens, and there's light that comes out from the hallway, and everything now moves in slow motion, and this 
this beautiful angel walks through the door, and there's like a wind of her hair, and, and uh, it, it, of course, you got to be blonde. I'm just partial blonde, but, uh, it, you know, that comes through. It could be Renette, and then they come in, and just like, oh, and they sit, and it's just right directly in the eye view of this middle school boy. Well, what happens? Life transformation takes place. The next morning, they're like, is that the shower running? What's going on? And they come downstairs, and there's like this, 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 this essence of axe spray or something, and there's, 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 and there's product, there's hair product going on and everything, and, and, you know, and the siblings are looking like, who is this? And parents are like, what are you doing? What's going on? What happened? They had life transformation. One life changed their outlook and changed their behavior in that. Can I tell you, in our own lives, encountering Jesus, you could talk about it, you're blue in the face to somebody, until they actually have an experience. I'm not saying experience alone is enough, but if you don't have an experience, on top of the knowledge you have, you're, it's not going to happen. There's not going to be an encounter. The sad thing I, I find with a lot of people, they're 18 inches from God. They're, it's the 18 inches average between the head and the heart. They're 18 inches away from heaven. They're 18 inches away of experiencing the work of Jesus in their life. That might be you today. You're, you're this close experience it. Paul's saying, I've had this, this piece of evidence that would convict me is my testimony. You can't deny what's happened to me. And these are grounds for him in his very soul of, of the conviction that he has, this evidence of hope in his life. He goes on, and, and Jesus directly speaks to him. He tells him this. He says, now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to point you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future and I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes that they might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Paul's saying, I'm... Jesus called me. This is what he said to me. He's given me a reason what I'm about to be as a, as a person of hope. Hear this. You can write this in. People of hope have purpose and persuasion. People of hope have purpose and persuasion. If you find people of hope, you always find people with purpose. You find people who also can't hold it inside of them. It just comes out. And one of the things I've, I've noticed around here lately, it's been a wonderful season where I find that individuals bring individuals you know we, nothing wrong with a, a social media campaign and advertisements and you know articles and you know the northern light advertising easter services all good put people out there but you know the greatest way to reach a person is a person the greatest way in fact if you think about how you came in this building or came to faith or got involved in some level of, of, of community a, a relationship with the church it's been through another relationship there's someone, a person of hope that so much is filled with that hope that you can't help but to share that with them. Because you'll, you'll identify maybe a need in their life. You'll, you'll find out that they're lonely and they're struggling and they need prayer and healing or whatever it might be in their life. And, and, and so what happens is you're like, you can't help but share. If you're a person of hope, you can't help but share what you have. And like, where did you get that? Well, let me tell you, come, come and see. 
Come check this out. Come, come on a Sunday. Come, come invite you to my small group. Come to a spaghetti feed with some guys that we're hanging out with. You, I think there's some guys you can relate with. Why? There's a passion from that purpose that's deep within our soul. That when you would stand before and say, are you a person? Is there evidence? You're like, oh my gosh, there's evidence. It's overwhelming evidence of the hope that, that I have. I'm an eye, Paul says, I'm an eyewitness of this hope, and I can't help but to share it. Paul goes on and tells a story, the very purpose why he's on trial. He goes this, but God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophet and prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to the Jews and Gentiles alike. He points back to the event, the evidence of the resurrection of Christ. And now it's pointing the evidence toward them. He's defending it. He says, this is what's happening. He makes his defense, and now he puts them on the defense. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And Paul comes to this place announcing this and proclaiming this. And now the tension's in the room because they heard it. And it's like, you've been with people. Well, that's great for you. Oh, that's so good that you found faith and everything. And then you turn it toward, well, what about you? And then there's some pressure that's there. In fact, the pressure is building so much that Festus himself interjects. He says, Paul, you're insane. Too much study has made you crazy. They're feeling the pressure. Verse 25, but Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying to you, the sober truth, and King Agrippa knows about these things. And King Agrippa, Agrippa knows about these. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him. For they were not done in the corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. So he's, he's telling his story and everything, and then he turns to him. Like there's only one person in the room that's hearing all this. You ever felt that before? You ever maybe sat through a, a sermon or heard a message or there's, uh, you know, um, something that happened on the radio you heard and you're like, how did that person know that? Like, how, how do they, how does it, that is the power of the word of God, that it could speak to everybody and then speak specifically like laser surgery right where you are at. King Agrippa is gripped. He's gripped. By the, the work and the move of the Holy Spirit. And then he's, he's basically saying, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. He's saying, he's, he's, he's reaching back into the roots. He goes, you, I know, I know that you, you were, you, you grew up Jewish. I knew, I know you know the teachings. I know that you, you, you understand where you've come from, what you learned, and everything that was going to be fulfilled by what we believe by the Messiah. It has happened through Jesus. I know you don't like that name. I know your, your grand, great grandfather and them, they did try to squash it, but it's still true today. It is unstoppable movement, the movement of the, the risen Lord. It's your opportunity now, Grip. Don't you love the fact that he doesn't attack his, his lifestyle? He doesn't say, you living with your sister slash wife, that's weird. He doesn't do that. He, doesn't, he says, here is the truth. Here is the, the work of the, 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 through the Holy Spirit, the person of Jesus. 
Now check out Agrippa's, he basically interrupts him and he says this, do you think, basically to Paul, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? We have no idea this guy's motive. We don't know if he's going, you're getting to me, Paul. You know, I'm feeling it. You know, if I, you continue on, I'm going to turn my life over to what, this, what you've done. We don't really know. I, I kind of feel like maybe, this is my interpretation, that he's maybe saying a little bit sarcastically. But the conviction's still there. How many people, how many you know people can joke, joke away, they can push to the side the gospel, and they, they can denounce it or criticize it, or those people, or that, that celebrity pastor fell on, t- you know, they have all these different excuses, all these different reasons why they're not a Christian. Who knows with Paul, what was going with King Agrippa, but I, think, I believe he was gripped. He's gripped by there's something that touched his heart there. He's probably denying it a little bit. Paul replied, this he says whether quickly or not i pray to god that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as i am except for these chains again we don't know the heart of the king but we do know this and in response you can read the end of acts 26 is he actually releases paul he could he releases him but he actually said because he appealed to caesar he's still going to be held and that he'd be sent to Rome. And Paul knew what he needed to do, and that was to go to Rome. What happened in Rome? Well, so much took place, because the work that Paul did, here he was in chains in Rome, facing trial. He ended up writing so much of all these letters. We have much of the New Testament because of Paul was in chains in Rome. Paul went from being one person, one location, to ten different locations with the letters spread out. God knew what he needed to do. And Rome becomes the, the new epicenter of Christianity for centuries to come. All because hope was on trial. And the conviction of hope that convicted not only Paul of being a person of hope, but the people there had to face the conviction of hope, and that hope is always a choice that we have to make, every single one of us. I'm going to invite Chris to come as we close, and I, I just I want to bring back this question one more time. If there was a trial, and you were brought before a court, and they are accusing you, do you have, an, would, would there be enough hope to convict you of your faith? Would there be enough hope there? Would there be enough evidence in your life? I think it's recognizing, has there been transformation? Have you really truly, not just information, but are you gripped by that? And maybe your transformation story is really, really old. That's something to look at going, do I need to revisit what God has really done? Or is there, as we sang this morning, a fresh wind and fresh breath of his very spirit? transform our hearts again as you look back is there is there enough hope within you that that gives you a sense of purpose and persuasion of others in your life is there enough hope to convict you last Sunday we we shared about our our friend she had got her friends our friend is Lou and she got married a few years ago and married a wonderful guy named Dean has such a great, just a great love story there, and and uh, Dean shortly after that ended up being diagnosed with cancer, 
and through he was he was a he was he was in the fire department. In fact, he was very high up. He was assistant chief of fire district seven because uh, of of his of his career in the fire department. The complications that caused caused cancer for him, and and so he he passed away. And we had we were able to attend the service last Wednesday. It was so moving, not only for all the gathering. I mean, it seemed like half the state of all the different departments gathered in, in the church to, to honor him, not only as a firefighter, but as a man of faith. The pastor got up and he, he shared the very testimony of Dean and his faith in Christ, where he kind of had nominal faith before, but all that happened and toward the last year of his life really, truly gave his life to Jesus and was baptized. And he, he read the testimony of his hope that he truly had in Christ. It was powerful. And I thought there has many lives were, I'm sure, impacted by that. I'm wondering for us today, do, do, do we actually have to wait till our dying day for our testimony of hope? What about doing it this week? What if our lives, if people would bring, if we brought hope on trial in our lives, and there is a testing in our hope all the time, that we face, that we would truly be people of, of hope. I love how Peter says this, this week, may this be our desire, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but to do it with gentleness and respect. I want to invite you to pray with me. And just, let's just take a moment. I want you to have some vision here this week as we pray. Being people of hope. That wherever you go and whatever you do and the people you're with, the people you work with, the people you live with, the people that you're interacting with throughout the week, that you would be a person of hope. Because you and I are going to go into hopeless situations. It will feel hopeless for people. There's going to be circumstances. They're going, there is just no way this can work out. There's no possible way. You're going to walk in this week and you're going to interact with people that have just a sense of hopelessness come over them. There's loss in their life. There's, there's pain. There's difficulties. And they just, it's, it just seems hopeless. And you, filled with hope, the, the hope that's not just wishful thinking and hope things would work out, it's the hope of the risen Lord Jesus in you the power of the Holy Spirit will be able to care and to love and people go what's with you and you go, can I tell you I'm a person of hope because of Jesus if you're here today and you feel like even after post Easter even after we talk about this hope you're going I feel a little hopeless right now let me pray for you as well that the God of all hope would fill you that, that you would experience a transformation in your heart right now. Just like all these people hearing this, that this message is just for you today. God, thank you for this opportunity that we've had. Thank you for the hope that we have. It is hope that we don't make up, that we don't have to feel, we don't have to just have wishful thinking of what to happen. It's hope that already happened. 
the hope of you, Jesus, that you rose from the dead and that you are the firstborn of this resurrection and the first to be raised from the dead that we can trust in that hope that you have given to us already. We trust you for that, Lord. I pray, God, that you, wherever there's hopelessness feeling right now, that you would come and just fill us with that hope, your resurrected hope in us. And that, Lord, in the circumstances that we walk into, that there would be an opportunity, that people would see it, there would be a reason that people go on. There is hope, and the hope is in you. May we also be gripped by that hope in our hopeless moments in this week, God, and that we can bring hope collectively together as we gather in groups, as we gather again, as we, we trust in you, the God of all hope, the blessed hope that one day will come back. We love you, Lord. We thank you. May we go as people of hope this week. In Jesus' name.